You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. Tony Duchesne here, and welcome to Drinks with Tony. With today's guest, Jerry Stahl, his new book is called 999, One Man's Tale of Depression, Psychic Torment, and a Bus Tour of the Holocaust. I'm teaching a free creative writing workshop, free, on July 13th on Zoom through the Los Angeles Public Library. Go to lapl.org to register or send an email to me, duchesne at gmail.com, and I will send you the link. 6 p.m. Pacific time, and we only have two more online workshops because starting in September, we're back in person at the Los Feliz branch. So, out of towners, feel free to join us on July 13th. His name is Jerry Stahl, and we chat. How to divorce women, suicidal ideation, people who treat Auschwitz like it's Disneyland, and Jerry pitches a new show title, Awkward Drinks with Tony, which I just might do. Hi, this is Jerry Stahl, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Jerry Stahl. His new book is called 999, One Man's Tale of Depression, Psychic Torment, and a Bus Tour of the Holocaust. Jerry, how are you? Great to be here, man. It's always good to see you. I, I think the last time you were on Drinks with Tony, we were in studio in San Francisco. That might have been wow. that, that long ago. Probably a different century. It was <laughs> exactly. It was before the age of Aquarius. <laughs> That's long ago, man. Yeah. yeah. The um, and then now, yeah, now I'm in Los Angeles, and we're and it's all it's like we're podcasting now. Well, you know, this was we were back in radio days. You might as well be named Pod. You were the first doing this, right? One of the first. I was they um. I kind of bumbled into it, but the first show I did was with Chuck Polinick in 2001 before the word, really? pod, before the word podcast was a podcast. And they're like, and the publicist was like, what are you doing? And I said, uh, literary web stream is what I called it. It was the literary wow. web stream. And then, um, and then uh, Mark Haskell Smith was my second guest. And that's mm -hmm. when I was riding my bicycle uh, between Alameda and Oakland to go meet him. And I realized, oh, it's called Drinks with Tony. I, and, that, and that's when, that's when you know, you know what happens when you like, you think of a name that's so great at the moment, and then it sticks yeah. with you for the rest of your life. And you're like, I sure. want to change this, but dang it, I'm branded. Are you over Drinks with Tony? Is it not something you like anymore? I, it's because, well, you know, back in the day, people would come in the, the studio when I would do, when I would do it on the radio, and it would just be like the expectation was we're all going to drink and we're the drinks, yeah, right, yeah, and the expectation was um, was totally granted, and it, mm -hmm. and I and I thought it was a brilliant idea to drink mm -hmm. and interview, sure. um, and then. I and then I came to LA in 2013, and that's when I had to stop doing it at the radio station. Mm -hmm. And then uh and then I restarted it in 2018. And I'm like, the last thing I want to do when I talk to somebody is have a drink because I want I want that awkwardness there. I'd rather have a cup of coffee yeah. with a stranger mm -hmm. that I don't know, that I don't know where we're going. 
And that is more courageous than drinks with Tony. So I was trying to change the name and I just couldn't because publicists wouldn't know who the hell I was if I changed You the could name. have just gone with awkward drinks with Tony. <gasps> oh my God, I should have talked to it's you. So <laughs> oh cool. my God, awkward drinks with Tony. Yeah, you can do that. Because you're right, the awkwardness is where all the good shit comes from. Yeah. You know, having done my share of interviews, that weird, uncomfortable silence and then people start talking on the other side of their normal tape you know exactly exactly it's it's uh there's there is a joy in not having this so-called social lubricant because yeah. because we but because the better things are found when it's not attributed to oh i must have just said that when i was drinking man and it's just like no, yeah, no, no, no. who yeah. cares let's 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 not <laughs> let's just let's be here look in each other's eyes and it'll be uncomfortable at the end, yep. we'll feel a little post-coital, but we won't even want to look at each other. Wow. Post-coital without getting coital. Well, something. It's something I'm very used to. Pre-coital. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I got I, I got we, we got the, we got depression. What are mm -hmm. we going to talk about today? We got depression. We got suicide. Sure. We got uh, we got romance, you know. Let me throw this out at you. I, I, by, by the way, I don't I don't have any prepared questions. People go, well, you don't prepare. I'm like, no, no, I've been doing this for a long time. I've prepared for 20 years. <laughs> I just I got, but I have nothing. But I have everything. I understand. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> okay. So, but I, but I think you're. <clears throat> I then now let me throw this out to you. I think you're a romantic guy because you. Because you've tried, you've had, you've been married three times, right? That does not make you a romantic. But does it? But is it? I I feel like it is. I don't know um, you, but I'm not sure romantic is one of them. But maybe, yeah, I'll take it. Well, it's because it's trying. I think I think marriage is pretty cool. Like I'm one of those guys that I feel like uh, you know I've I've been married once and went through a horrid divorce, but it's almost like I'd rather have that experience. I'd rather be a divorced guy than a never married guy. Yeah. It's good to get one under your belt. Uh, for sure. Uh, I I'm probably, um, I can make this claim, not trying to look good. I get along really well. I'm great at divorce. You know, we, I have great divorces. Marriage is not so great, but, uh, you know, I get along well with the exes. So, uh, that for whatever that's worth, you know, and, uh, but living together, I wouldn't want to live with me either. You know, how, how, how do you, how do you get along? Like what makes you good at divorce? What, what is it where you create, like, I mean, so you're still friends with your exes. Yeah. Like, how do you do that? Couple. I don't know. I don't know how to do that. Well, you know, first of all, it's a given that everything is my fault. So let's just start at that baseline. Well, do and you, do you, do you really think that though? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I'm a nightmare. But, but the, so, so there's nothing wrong with these ladies. No, well, bad choice in men, you know. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it's apology. Um, yeah, and, you know, to try to be a generous guy, you know, to the best I can and uh, be a good father to the uh, children and from this union, as they say. And, uh, you know, 
I'm not, I'm not out there, you know, I'm not teaching night school on how to do this. I'm just saying that in my particular case, you know, it's, it's worked out. Okay. Yeah. If I've had the other kind, well, I have one that didn't like me so much, you know, and that was, boy, that was festive, you know, but, uh, you know, two out of three amp Yeah. And that, I see there you go. You got a great batting average. I mean, that, that's a batting average that will put you in the hall of fame. I guess it will. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. 333. Yeah. No, no it's 666. Yeah. yeah. What am I talking about? See, look at that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that, that's like 60. Yeah. That's some serious, that's Harmon Killebrew numbers. That's, that's a big number. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what your the exes that you're friends with when they read your, when they read a book like 999, do, do they get, do, do you get, do they read it or do you even talk about it with them? How does that work? Well, this one just came out. So, you know, the jury is out, but uh, you yeah, don't ask you them. Know, you don't go, Hey, I got a new one coming. Be ready. Well, it's like, Hey, you know, there might be a thing here, a thing there, but you know, they know that I'm not out to uh, settle any scores. I have, I have a very specific theory of journalism, the writing in general, which is always make yourself the biggest asshole, you know? That's always forgiven. You know, I'm not trying to make anybody look bad and I'm not trying to make myself look good, obviously. But um, if you're honest and you're me, you're not going to look that great, you know, in any memoir type situation. Huh. Cool. You're, you're, what I'm doing is I'm absorbing this for my for what what becomes of my next relationship so I can get into it and mm. get out of it as smoothly as you seem to. Well, you don't want to take tips from me, I don't think, <laughs> but they are free. Are you? It sounds like you're uh, you're on the cusp of a big decision. Are you? Uh, no. Round the number two. <laughs> Let's take that out of context. Sniffing around the number two, that you actually know, applies to. Second, <laughs> are you thinking about your second marriage? Are you thinking about jumping back in the game? I've always thought about jumping back in the game and I've tried to jump back in the game and it just, uh, but before I jump back in, it's kind of, um, it, it kind of unravels itself. Um, yeah. I'm sorry. It's probably better that it unravels before you commit to a whole life together. Right. And that's what my therapist tells me. She says, Tony, you're making better decisions now. <laughs> it's that, you know, where I would be with someone for like a year or a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And, and she, and then now it's like, I'm there with someone go. for two months. And there I'm like, go. yeah, all right. And get, then get out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes the best you can do is make a new mistake. You yeah. Know? If you're going to fuck up, fuck up in a whole new way. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, and then just realize that it's all my problem and I'm the asshole. <laughs> well, you know, it gives you something to write about. It does. Isn't that are you still writing now? Are you still writing books? What do you, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm working on a novel right now. Um, oh, good. Yeah. I'm hopefully, you know, I'll go talk to people who used to talk to me and will still talk to me again because uh, my, my relationships in professional world are much better than my romantic relationships. So uh, mm-hmm. when, when I, you know, when it's ready, when it's ready to show, I got a few people to show and they'll tell me if it's a ready, if it's a go or not. Um, at this point though, I've learned that the process is more important than the outcome for me. 
Is that really true? People say that's a wonderful line. I don't know what it really means, though. Well, I, I mean, I'm going kind of thing. I'm sorry, you broke up there for a second. Said like the journey is the destination, that kind of thing. A bit. Um, so there's a, there's a few things with, I mean, with for me with writing, this will be my second like novel. If it gets published, it's my second novel. My first one came out over a decade ago. So the, um, I, I don't know, you know, it's almost like now I'm fishing with even less bait. <laughs> you know, it's just like, because the, the, the first one didn't sell well. And wow. it's, yeah. so it's just kind of like, okay, I've been through this process and I know that this may this may even have less of a chance making it into the world than my first one because what's that what making it into the world i mean you know it's like you have probably people who love your work and are going to always going to get your shit when it comes out and uh that might be as good as it gets you know have a good cult audience man he said defensively you know there's nothing wrong with that (laughs) (laughs) no exactly that um but at the same time, well, here, here's, here's where I came up with that huge epiphany that I probably am being totally delusional about <laughs> when I say the process is after uh, Jesus Jerk, the film came out. And after, sure. after that was, um, you know, and I, and I loved the final cut. I mean, it's I'm one of the few people that actually goes, oh, that movie they made about my book, about my life. Um, they, thank you um but but yeah but it was just over and then and it was and then i was just like sitting there going what 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 was i thinking that you know that the premiere and that doing the q a's would actually be as satisfying as doing the work doing the work was much more satisfying than standing in front of an audience and talking about the work yeah, I don't disagree with you about that, but it's just another, you know, it's just another weird part of the trip, you know, is you get to have this thing you poured your heart into, and then you get to have it massively misinterpreted and people asking oddball questions and you just kind of roll with it, you know, and people, I find see things in your work. You didn't know were there. And sometimes that's a good thing. And sometimes it's a bad thing, but you know, it's theirs, you know, once you let it go, man, you know? It's their baby to abuse. And that's the thing is learning to let it go. And I think I hadn't, I hadn't let it go enough. Yeah. So I needed to really, I needed to let it go way before it was ever released. Um, But, and that's why I started Drinks with Tony again, Mm -hmm. Uh, because I was really depressed. And I was like, when was the last time I was happy? And I was like doing Drinks with Tony. And I'm like, you know what? I'll redo it as a podcast. Let's see what happens. If I, and I'll be weekly. And if I can go 10 weeks and get a guest every week, that'll be great. And if I can't get anyone after that, I'll just stop. And then here yeah. we are, your number 199. So 199 weeks ago, I was really depressed wow. and restarted this. That's <laughs> so, a long string of happiness, man. 199 weeks. My God. Well, don't. don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's not all happiness. It took, just... all it, wow. What's... All it took was getting this show back, huh? I got to tell you, it helped a lot, especially during COVID. Yeah. You know, during COVID, when we were in lockdown, I got, I had to sit there and, you know, there were days, there was, there was like a month when I didn't look at anyone in the eyes in real life, you know, and it's just like, but I still had to 
record on Zoom every week. And there with strangers, with people I didn't know. I know you, me sure. and you have me and you have like talked. I know yeah, what I'm getting. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I know, I know, you know, it's just like, and then there's people that I have no clue who they are and don't know where mm-hmm. we're going. And there's a joy in that too. But and it's just like it it kind of mentally kept me on track yeah. during the dark. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. This was kind of a uh, pandemic book too. I mean. I, I did the trip in like 2016, but I didn't start writing until everything was going south for humanity. You know, and we were all locked in our little worlds, you know, and that, that kind of helped, I think, because suddenly everybody was as depressed as I normally am, you know, so it was a beautiful thing, you know. People. I felt, yeah, I felt like uh, people were, had such huge, huge anxiety and I'm like, oh, now you know how I feel every day. So- it's like Tuesday for me. You guys are like freaking out, you know? Right. It's the regular, you know, a regular 18 week stretch where I don't talk to another human being. What's the big deal? You know? And so. that's what scared me because I was so comfortable with that. And I was trying to yeah. not be comfortable with that. You know what I'm saying? Where he's just like. I'll do well. Yeah. Yeah. But writing's good for that. Did you get any, get a lot of work done or did you just do a bunch of drinks with Tony? No, I did. I, you know, I had a hard time getting work done. I, you know, mm-hmm. people are people are like, "Oh my god, this must be great for you because you could just hunker down and write." And I'm like, "No, this is this is Armageddon, man." Yeah, <laughs> it's not, it's not is- easy to write yeah. in the fire. <laughs> it's so true. The pages keep crinkling around the edges. You know. Yeah, it's absolutely true. So, but but so did you were you you wrote this during pandemic or you were rewriting during pandemic. Well, I, it, I, I didn't start writing it for a number of years. It took me a while. You know, a lot of shit was going on, some of which is talked about in the book. I don't know. Do you read books before you talk about them or you just talk to the authors and wing it? How do you usually uh, do what, what I do, so here's what I did with yours, is I read a quarter of the book. And then mm-hmm. and then I try to forget it, but kind of remember it and wing it. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. That's kind of what I do. And then I'll read it after. Uh, and part of that is because I don't want to get too excited about the book. And part of it is because, um, well, not with you, but there are some authors who I'm going, how did this get published? And, and so I don't want to come with disdain, but, but with you, no, you but with, yeah, what's that? I'm sorry. If you're going to come, don't come with disdain. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And but but with you it's with you it's I was I was reading this at the cafe and I was like laughing out loud because your your humor is just I I connect with it so much because it's the darkness is there and I and it's and it's just you know making making light of major things like like suicide I mean I you know my I have a family of suicide as suicide as well and it's just like really yeah and it's just you know it's it's it you, you, there there's the humor part of it and then there's the the people who get it and i really i yeah. get it like when i tell people oh yeah my grandmother killed herself my uncle killed himself and the people that go like this oh <laughs> they kind of overreact i'm like oh this has never happened to you has it in my head yeah and then the people would, that just go yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, the did they go? how did What's they go what was, their, what was their modus operandi uh grandma was pills and my uncle Eric was uh, actually you, uh, you you brought this up. He was carbon monoxide in a garage. Carbon monoxide guy, old school. Yeah, this was yeah, this was in. What's that? Go ahead. I'm saying it's hard to do now because they don't 
you know, they got the catalytic convert. You know, you don't have much carbon monoxide anymore. Right. And this was in uh, this was probably 1989. So it's probably an uh, older car. Just like, sure. yeah, yeah. Knock it out. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> Let's yeah. do this. My nephew won't care. He won't talk about it 30 years from now on a show with Jerry Stahl. Making light of my pain. Yeah. Sure. Well, did you, I mean, was it a surprise? Did these people have miserable lives or were they? Oh, it was gutting. It, it was gutting. I mean, well, my grandma yeah. did it before I was born. So mm. what I got to experience was learning about it when I was um, a little older and then also seeing my mom's reaction to it and uh, how she I'm still sorry. is reacting to it, which is hard, probably the hardest thing to see than thinking about my grandma, you know? How old was your mother when her mother took her life? 13. Wow, that's rough. Okay. And she was pregnant three years later with me. Damn. Yeah. So she's she's had a half, huh? Wow. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then then you have friends that end up doing it too. And it's just, it, it's a and, and I and I love how you talk about in the book about the suicidal ideation, which sure. which I've had and I've even checked myself into the hospital for it once. Sure, yeah, of course. It's like porn. <laughs> it's like porn. How is that? Well, you just keep thinking of the different ways you can do it. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you could do this, you could do that. Maybe this will work. Maybe that'll work. Oh, look, there's a new way online I hadn't thought about. You know, it's just. Uh, a myriad fantasy, you know, but I'm sorry you put yourself in the hospital, but good for you for knowing ahead of time you needed to do that. Did it help? Oh, it did helped they, a lot. Immensely. Did they 5150 you or did they lock no, you down? No, they didn't. So what happened, uh, I went there and I was just like, I'm really, I just said, hey, I'm ready to die. Yeah. And at intake and they said, okay, how are you going to do it? And I hadn't thought that far ahead. Mm. So then they said, okay, well, you're, uh, we, you're suicidal ideation and we can get you in in a few weeks and i'm like thinking okay so i can just go into my house and not have any knives near me essentially yeah. get, get anything sharp out of here yeah and, and and i kept just you know the day that i was scheduled to check in was just like marking the calendar going just make wow. it till that day just make it till that day it was like your dream vacation you were just counting <laughs> to take off like, what is this life? Some people do that. Some people have the dream vacation. Sure. Like, yeah. I can't wait to go to Maui and not engage with any of the locals. Just go to a resort and like swim with, yeah. you know. Yeah. And- I want to go to Maui and be a white man. Yeah. Great. <laughs> so how long were you inside, man? I mean. So I was outpatient. So I, so it was three weeks. Oh, outpatient. Uh, yeah. Okay. But if you didn't show up, they would call the police immediately uh yeah so there was it was strict um but they i learned mindfulness in there a lot of it was mindfulness techniques and and it helped me a lot yeah this was about a decade ago so well i'm gonna just say man man the man you seem great you know i mean so maybe it's working like i realized a long time ago man i i don't know that i will ever be happy okay but what i want to be i don't want to be the guy who makes you unhappy you know I don't want to be a guy who makes like my mother had this thing where she could walk into a room, God bless her. And suddenly everybody in the room would be like, I hate myself. And, and I don't know why, you know, it was like <laughs> you have this most annoying superpower of just like make everybody feel like shit, you know, which was a gift. 
And I just said, you know, in my life, I, I don't want to be that. So whatever I'm feeling, I'm not going to infect you. You know, that might be as good as it gets, you know, and which isn't so bad. So yeah. it's one way to go, you know, it's a great Maybe way to go far, but it's, it's one way to go. Yeah. I mean, and, and going back to like not talking to people for 18 weeks. I mean, is, is that some, like, how do you deal with your depression? Do you just, do you just, do you just know you're in it and go, okay, here we go again. Yeah. You know, you just, it's, it's like the air you breathe, man. It's like gravity. And um, I think if you don't give it that much talk, you know, I don't obsess about it. I don't, I mean, I don't see therapists at this point. I just, uh, I, I try to be physical, you know, that's what I do. And uh if you can do any, because I, I feel like words are what got me into the here. So words aren't going to get me out of here. This is just speaking for me. I'm sure I could, you know, benefit from years of therapy, but I've done it. And here we are, you know, but um, just staying as physical as you can is great. Uh, making people laugh is great. If you can, you know, if you can find people who can um, make carnival with your despair, you know, and you can, not take yourself too seriously and being a writer helps because it's like, it's, it's, it's like that old Hemingway line, you know, the greatest gift an artist can have is an unhappy childhood, you know? So if you, you can milk all this and turn it into something, you know, and uh, maybe somebody will get something out of it, you know? Yeah. Yes, very much so. And the physical thing's interesting because I feel like our bodies need stress. We need it. We, yeah. we need stress and we need struggle. And so sometimes depression is just not giving ourselves enough stress. Wow. That's a theory. I've never, you think things that you just too easy on yourself and it's depressing. Um, or life. sometimes if, it, if life is a little too easy ah. and, and we don't, and we don't, I'm just, you know, this is, this isn't like I thought about this too much. So I'm going off this at this moment, but if life sure. is kind of too easy, um, at the moment, and then all of a sudden, we we don't appreciate it, or we don't have something set up to kind of give ourselves more stress. That can lead to a spiral, wow. because I had that spiral because life is too easy. But I'm that is something to aspire to, man. Just the bills are paid, <laughs> things are great, money rolling in, you're happy, you feel good when you look in the mirror. I'm oh, well, hold on, well, hold on a second there. <laughs> I look in the mirror and I'm like, how far is my hair receding? <laughs> well, I look in the mirror and see, see my grandmother. So, I mean, I can relate, you know, it's just like, <laughs> being, you know, I, I, being this old is bad for my credit, you know, credibility, you know, for an ex dope fiend, you know, not dying young. It's terrible. Right. Terrible right. business. Is but, it? I, 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 I mean, it's, it, it, it's funny to think about that, but it's also you bring a lot of wisdom and experience that I think a lot of people need and can enjoy, you know, even reading your book um, where you, I mean, you tackle a lot of heavy subjects with the, with, with the voice that, you know, with the voice that's just utterly you, which is so hard to do. I, I don't, I, I think people don't realize how much craft it takes to really put your voice on a page. Well, that's very kind of you to say, but at some point you reach this spot where you can't sound any other way and it either works or it doesn't. I mean, sounding like me might be great for you, 
but you know, there are legions of others who would flee in horror after half a page, you know, you just don't know. Um, but you know, I was so depressed that I thought, why not go somewhere where rank and utter despair is entirely appropriate. So I got vice magazine to pay for me to, uh, take a bus tour of concentration camps in Poland and Germany. And, uh, I figured I'd see what that was like. You know, maybe that would be just the pick me up I needed. You know. Now, did you did you pitch it to them like that, or did you just pitch it to them as like as like, look, here's what I here's what I want to write for you guys. But inside your head, you're like, and this is going to uh, this is going to like bring me to a level where humanity is so disgusting that I might not be as depressed. Is <laughs> <laughs> humanity is disgusting, or just that? Yeah, it is that humanity is disgusting, but they weren't disgusting in the way I thought. I thought I was going to go there and have these profound, shattering, soul-defining moments because of the presence of the crime of the century and the horror and the sanctity of the, of the killing ground, you know? In fact, something else happened, which was I get there and the first thing I see is the Auschwitz snack bar and people are like having pizza and a Fanta. And that was a whole other level of humanity that I didn't anticipate. But isn't that how life is? You know, you're looking this way and you get hit in the head from the right, you know? Right. Because in the, like back in 1996, I went to Prague and I went ah. to um, the Jewish cemetery there. And I went very early in the morning, right when they opened. And it was in my heart, like just looking at the, yeah, I, I, do you know the Jewish cemetery where they like, just, it's just like stacks of graves on yeah. top of each other. Yeah. It's yeah. And, and they have the, and they have the names and the temple, or I think it's a temple. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Can't remember, but I, but I remember walking through the graveyard and just like, just like trying not to cry and yeah. just yeah. really, just really feeling the despair. And about an hour later, the tour buses started coming in. And it was a bunch of old pasty people who are like, and after this, what are we doing? Where's the fruit truck? And I'm just going, I wanted, I, I wanted to punch every single one of them. Isn't I'm it, like, yeah, I was like, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, everybody was dressed like family day at Orlando Disneyland, you know, and uh, yeah, <laughs> with the little red shorts and the I'm with stupid t-shirt. But on the other hand, what do you fucking expect from people? You know, I hadn't thought it out. It's not like there's a dress code. But um, I think there is a dress code. People should know this. You go if you're going to if you're going to these places. Yeah. Don't wear shorts. Don't wear flip flops. Get, go in with some respect because these because well, this is something that we should have more sure. respect for. This is not well, Disneyland. You know, I, I completely agree. I walked in having completely respect. You know, I was having this experience, you know, walk out of the ovens. And then these three young foreign teen girls come up to me and they're yelling like, grandma, grandma. And they wanted a selfie because they thought I was Kramer. They thought I was Michael Richards, you know, and I'm in like at Auschwitz taking a selfie from people who think I'm a celebrity, you know, with them waving. And I'm not even that celebrity. You know, it's like, what prepares you for that? That kind of weirdness, you know? And and, and, what, and how, I mean, walking away from that, what are the feelings going on? Because I, I just, that just, it's just so mind boggling. What, what goes on in your mind as you walk away well, from that? The first thing I felt like really, 
ridiculous because because there was a language barrier. I couldn't explain to them that, in fact, no, I'm not Kramer, you know, so they just went ahead and took the selfie thinking the highlight of their Auschwitz experience was like getting a selfie with Michael Richard, you know, so what does that make me? Um, the faux Kramer, I guess, by accident. But it, it doesn't surprise me. It's just one of those like, you know, you think you're going to have this experience and it turns out to be something completely different, but probably valuable in a whole other, less comfortable way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Wait, wait, and what, and what, what is the value that you pull out of that? I think the value is get the fuck over yourself. You know, it's like, this is their experience and it's authentic for them. So they're going to have it. And whatever I feel is what I feel, but I can't place myself above my other bus riders and other tour group because I mean, you're right. It's insane. The tour groups and the buses and, you know, being a man of a certain age, I just got shot out of that bus. I mean, I was looking for the Auschwitz men's room, you know, and then I didn't know whether to pay him a Zloty on the way in or a Zloty on the way out. Cause the only, the, the really thriving industrial sector of Poland does seem to be the men's room sector. You know, there's, there's <laughs> with their hands out in a little basket. Right. Uh, so, you know, none of these experiences I expected to have, but I don't know how you feel, but I think you just have to, you just have to roll with it, you know, and try not to judge because in the end, all judgment is self-judgment, right? You bring up a good point because I have a hard time not judging. And I think that's, and I think you have the more Buddhist, <laughs> the more, the more centered um, way of it. Uh, where, maybe. Yeah. It, but, but you do, so, you, you say something that's, that's really poignant, which is get over yourself and ha let them have their experience. But sometimes I just want these people to know that this is more of an important sure. experience than positive. Yeah. Absolutely. But, but we can't change the world. So. Well, you can't change that odd corner of it. And, uh, you know, you just end up as, you know, you feel like an anthropologist, you know, in some weird, it's not exactly hell, but it's not exactly the real world either. You know, it's just this, it's a museum of hell and people are going to treat it and bring to it what they bring. But on the other hand, when you're marching through these camps, I mean, what stopped me was just, there's a display at Auschwitz, which is like a two ton ball of hair. And it's just all the hair they've saved from when they, you know, all the babies or women or men, you know, it's everybody who got shorn, you know, yeah. and that was so powerful to me, just this inchoate, nonverbal display that 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 gutted me you know but you never know what's going to hit you and then you're before you can experience being gutted the people behind you are pushing you along because the tour groups are moving through you know yeah so right and it's just like oh we're it's almost like being at a uh what do you call those things aquarium oh pretty like an aquarium. and then they move through yeah but, you know, it's like that great Tom, Jonathan Swift quote, you know, I loathe mankind, but love every Tom, Dick and Harry, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, I, yeah, conceptually, you kind of hate humanity for, for the whole package. But then when you meet people individually, it's a different story.
Right. And and you're so kind to take that selfie. <laughs> I don't know if I could have taken the selfie or even even with shock. the language barrier. <laughs> you're giving me way too much credit. I was just in shock. Before I realized what was happening, the stick was there and they were waving and, you know, it was done. Yeah. And the worst part was all the people from my own tour group, I could see them looking at me like, you sick fuck. Who do you, you know, what do you do? Who do you think you are? You know, you're yeah. posing and you're not even that guy and you're in a selfie and you're not even a celebrity. I mean, what are well, my just, issues? You know? Well, I think, I think it's, you want to get out of the situation as fast as possible. So just Absolutely. let these people yeah. think yeah. that that's it. Yeah. Yeah. But to answer your question, that is not what I thought I was going to experience when I hit the camps for sure. Has anyone else ever mistaken you for uh, Michael Richards? That was the first and only time. Yeah. <laughs> in a foreign land. I was younger. Uh, what's that? In a foreign land. In a foreign land. Maybe maybe we just all looked alike. I don't know. You know? I, I think so, too. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I, I get this from people who, you know, aren't, uh, it's like people who say, hey, you look like Paul Giamatti. And I'm like, oh, okay, thanks. You know, when oh. they, when they Great. Thank you. Yeah. 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 When they, I do like Paul Giamatti though. I do think he's, but he's, he's the greatest actor of a generation. Yeah. I mean, there's no respect there. But then when they like see me in person, they're like, Oh wait, you're tall. <laughs> well, how disappointing. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're expecting me to be his height. <laughs> so. Is he a little fella? I guess he is. I've seen him. What is he in billions? He's a tiny guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, I, um, it's a, it's you know I'm six foot so I think they see me and go oh yeah. crap but it, yeah I thought you looked like that guy but you're and I'm like uh, whatever you yeah know. you're tall Giamatti tall Giamatti that's and and hey I'll take it be a rap name it, it might be it might be the best thing that's ever happened to me it might be the only influence I ever have in life <laughs> could be worse could be worse yeah but when. So like, what's your writing schedule? Like, are you working on something now? How, how, how do you, cause you're also working on projects in TV and film and what, yeah, what's I the balance? Some, no, I've got, uh, I gotta, I gotta keep the cash registers clicking if I can. I just, you know, I just write like a man being chased, especially cause I'm older now, you know, I'm like a lot closer to dead than 40, you know? So I feel the clock ticking and uh, I just write all the time, man. It, to me, people always say, well, how do you, you know, sometimes it's screenplays, sometimes it's like a book. It's just, it's all voice to me. You know, it's like what I love in any genre. If I, if I love a voice in a movie or a book, I'll fucking follow it anywhere. It doesn't even matter what the subject pretty much, you know? So whether whatever I'm writing, conversely, it's just about, you know, trying to get some tone, you know, that you can dig into and want to live in for a while whether it's like some TV show, you got to find something to connect, you know, which is not always easy to do, but if you can do it, you got to lick, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, the voice thing is the voice thing is everything. It's, and I, I taught you this, you know, I have these wide eyed students that come in who are taking the screenwriting credential, you know, and they're oh, just like, and they, yeah, they can't wait, you know, to, to finish it. And I'm just like, look, this game sucks in general, but you have two things going for you. You have your voice and you have your process and that's only you. Nobody can take that away from you. So your voice, your truth is essentially it's anything you can put of yourself into this work 
that's it, it has to be important for you on some level um well, even even if it's not great even if it's not even if you're or even if it's a romantic comedy i'm mean, just like put yourself in there and just say a little something make it important um, to you and then that becomes something that's very optimistic of you because there's two kinds of genius especially in the you know, if you're gonna talk in hollywood there's the genius of having a completely authentic new voice and forging ahead with something only you can do. And then there's the ability to sound exactly like 9 million other things, which will get you a fucking job if you're a certain kind of person in a certain way. And that, who are we to judge? But you know what? That voice thing is not always what people are going for. You know, maybe they want to sound like X, Y, or Z, SpongeBob, Friends, whatever, you know? So they, tra they, they put their feet in those little footsteps that are laid out so that they can be safe and employed, you know? And have great health insurance and buy the a best. house. Yeah, yeah. that you know, what you just said makes total sense because, and I tell people that, I'm like, if you guys can figure out how to just work for someone else's voice, you have, you have a career. You're, you're in. If you, if you can, if you, if you, if you can sound like someone else for me, I mean, I used to work in tech, like back in the nineties, mm. I'd rather just go work in tech again. Yeah. If, I, if I'm going to just churn, yeah. churn stuff out and do technical re, you know, go, Oh, how are we technically going to make this sound like blank? You know, it's just, what was your job in tech? What did you do? Uh, this was in the late nineties. They called it a server administrator and web server administrator. And also uh, I worked in JavaScript stuff, uh, debugging Java. And then, You're like a problem solver. Yeah. Which yeah. I, I loved that part of it actually, but yeah. I, but you're a bright guy. So you have skills. I just became a writer because I had no skills. I mean, what else can you do? If you're, well, if you're a shitty musician, you don't look good. You know, you don't work well in corporate world. What are you going to do? You know, you end up being a writer. I, well, I didn't work well in corporate because these people were working 14 to 16 hours a day for Sun Microsystems. And wow. I'm just, and I'm like, and they had like the, you know, two houses in the Bay Area and a house in the hills. And, yeah. I, and, and I was 29 and I was in this board, their conference room, talking to them about content management systems. Yep. And these people were all in their 40s and I looked around and they were, they, I, all I saw was death. I, I just, I looked at them and I was like, that's death. I got, I'm out. I am out. Yeah. This is it. Well, lucky for you, you got the, you got a peek at death. So you <laughs> yeah. Spared, the, you death is yourself. being in, yeah. Death is being in your mid forties and working 16 hours a day to hope JavaScript becomes the, you know, the big thing. So, well, that kind of death is called success for those people, you know? Yeah. Right? And, they were dead. and I'm like, I, I don't, I don't want that. You know, I, I'm not. Did you ever get your house? Did you get your house? The no, no, I yeah. got a divorce. <laughs> yeah. But, it, but it's just like that, you know, I would love a house, but I'm not going to get it that way. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. Uh, I'm not going to, I'm not losing my soul and losing my heart to get yeah. the house. No, and, you're right. You know. Yeah. I've had it all. I've lost it all. It comes and goes, you know. And, and what's important is the time, what it's, it's who it's, we, all, what, all we got is we just spend time with ourselves, whether the house is huge or small it, in the end, we're just with ourselves. Yeah. Which is why being a writer works. Cause you can, you can turn that poison into something sweet, you know, that might, 
I don't know. You know, I just think we're gifted with all our particular hells and depression and despairs. And, you know, it's that old Iggy Pop, you know, it's like some weird gift, you know, and you can do something with it. This sounds so upbeat. I don't know. Maybe it's because I just had a cup of coffee, but it, <laughs> it, it is. Uh, the writers I love are the ones who say the unsayable, you know, who say things about life or, uh, you know, that you just don't hear other people say because they're not trying to look good or they're not trying to sound good. I mean, Paul Nook does that. I mean, he invented a whole new realm, you know? Yeah. And uh, I, 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 I just, I admire, I admire those kind of writers. And I, you know, I admire you for digging this stuff out of people. You know, I don't have these conversations every day, you know? I never even think, I don't think about writing, you know, unless I have to, unless somebody's asking me about it. I just sort of fly blind, you know, mm -hmm. every day, invent it again, you know? But that is, that's a, that is writing is flying blind. It, people don't realize that it's, uh, you have blank paper and you got to fill it with something. It's for people who aren't doing that every day as a practice, it's mm -hmm. the scariest thing on earth. But and then and what I've found, and I don't know if this is your experience, but if you're if you're showing up every day, it's still the scariest thing on earth. But you know what the scariest thing on earth is, so you just do it. Yeah, there's two ways to think about it. For me, people say, "What is your process like?" Well, I arrange to make not writing the only thing more miserable than writing. You know, so that way, when I hit that point, I'm gold. Then I'm gonna write because anything's better than not writing. You know. But people think you have a plan. You know, I don't, I love people who do outlines. I admire all that shit. But the, the, the line I always, even though Mailer is completely out of fashion, he did say a great thing about writing, which is that it's like driving at night. You know, it's like you see the next 20 feet in your headlights and you go there and then you see the next 20 feet. And sometimes that's how it is, you know. And if you're cooking, you know, you go in the next day. It's like that Hemingway thing. Always stop in the middle of a sentence, you know. Don't start where you have to create something new the next day because you'll be fucked. You know, there's, there's just there's different things you can do to sort of ease yourself into the abyss every day, you know. And 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 what I've what I find is um, that I'll write myself into a corner and I'll feel like yeah. nothing and I'll feel like nothing and I'll feel like nothing. And then but all of a sudden. Something, something I wrote and some useless character that I just dropped in there that I thought was yeah. a bit player just created a whole new plot for the, for the main character. And I, and it takes me to another level and that's that, you know, and that's, you know, I've never done heavy drugs, but I think that's probably the feeling of doing a heavy drug is when you find that little, Oh wait, that character Ursula that I just plopped in there four months ago. Now she's part of the whole plot. You know, well, it, let me tell you something about heavy drugs, man. Heavy drugs just makes the chair real comfortable. That's what heavy drugs do. You know, they make the whole experience pleasant, you know, and uh, they make you forget you're up there in the high wire with no net. <laughs> That's what heavy drugs do. But, but you're young. You got time to do your heavy drug using if you want, you know. Nah, I, I, I you know, I, 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 people look at me and they think I'm a drug guy. And, and once in a while, I'll smoke pot, you know, and I'll go to the pot store. I go crazy. You know. Right, right, right. I go to the pot yeah. store and they're like, well, well, how many ounces do you need, sir? And I'm like, oh, do you have half grams? <laughs> and I'm like, this is going to last me for like nine months. And they're like, I smoke. Are you kidding? You're, 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 you're being funny, right? I'm like, no, I just look this yeah. way. It doesn't mean I that. Yeah. 
And then, so there, so that gets me to the point where I'm embarrassed to go to the pot store. So then I just don't smoke pot. Then that's it. Well, you could just stock up for 20 years, I guess, you know, just buy a little. More <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. Cause I don't use the shit, but I mean, if, why not? You know? I don't know. I don't know either. If, if I go, like, if I go, you know, there's, there's like doom metal bands, like these, like Sun and Ohm, and I'll want to take a couple hits before I go see these bands live and experience sure, with it. Yeah. You like the doom metal. Yeah. With, with, with pot, but sure. you know, we've been in COVID there's no live shows, so there's no reason to have pot at a live show. And it's, I wouldn't even know, know what to do if I went into a, I, I call them pot stores. I mean, what are they medical marijuana dispensaries? Like, I guess a dispensary is the term for it. No, nah, I think they're pot stores pretty much. Pot you stores. Know. Isn't yeah. it crazy how available it is now? It's just mind-boggling. Where were they when I was fucking 16, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's a whole different world. But, you know, lucky you, you. You go see your heavy doom metal bands now. Do you think that if when you were 16, if it was as available as the, you know, like a strip mall uh, next to a dentist, do you think that you would have um, it would have been as attractive or it would have been a little too uh, it's not on that. It's not on the outside. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I think, you know, most kids want to be, you know, little outlaws. You know, you want to do something illegal. You want to get into the other senior side of life, you know, uh, get into that bourgeois trouble that kids get into sometimes, you know. Yeah. But, that I, you know, I, I mean, I was, I stayed in and, you know, did dope and did my third. I didn't, I didn't come clawing out of fucking like dope world till I was, you know, nearly 40, you know, uh, by the skin of my fucking teeth. But, um, you know, if I was a kid and it was all so goddamn like legal and available, I don't know that it would even be appealing. I'd have to find something else to do that would piss people off. Yeah. Because you want danger, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And it's, I see some of these guys on YouTube that I follow there and they're young. They're like 21, 22. And, and what they're doing is they're breaking into stuff and they're changing billboards and they're doing like, and I'm like, yeah, I'm yeah like, my girlfriend watches a lot of that stuff where they break into places and they, they do all this other shit with that's, I mean, Hey, why not? I, you're, it's like, you're supposed to do that when you're in your twenties. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's part of the game. Yes, you know? exactly. It's almost like they're inventing a crime so that they can commit it. Yeah. And then it just fills my heart. And I'm like, and I go, the kids are going to be all right. Yes. Yeah. Well, do you think they are? I mean, do you, are you an optimistic guy? No. No. <laughs> I don't know. Um, sometimes I'm optimistic and sometimes, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if social media is just really... Um, killing off a lot of things you know i mean when we grew up it was it was our it, we were rebelling but we were rebelling in our little villages and our little you know i i grew up in a dreary suburb of san francisco and it's just like you're rebelling around a small area and it's and some of the stuff we did the cops would get involved and um the and and the local businesses would be like no 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 we're not going to press charges but they need to do this this and this and there was there was a little more like hey we wow. know who who the you know there was a little more you were, were juvenile not... huh? 
Yeah, you know, it's crazy. Like, even though I was a Jehovah's Witness, I was around what we found was kind of vandalism got us like got got us off. So breaking windows and stuff like that. And then one time we broke like a ton of windows all the way down El Camino. And that's that became a felony. And yeah. uh, And so I took off. I got away. My friends got detained and the um and they went to all the businesses to see if they it was like jack in the box it was a pizza joint and we we busted out all these windows while they were open <laughs> so people were like there this oh, is the 80s oh, wow this is the yeah. 80s and you know people like were like oh i got glass in me <laughs> it's just like well it, there's yeah, these man. there's these kids yeah today it would be an automatic juvie you know but yeah. but back then they were like hey you know they were all so lenient. They said, as long as they pay for their damages, we won't press charges. So then I well, had to go get a job as a dishwasher. And every week when I got my check, I had to go to like four different businesses and give wow. them cash to pay off the debt of the, um, of the damage we did. That's like a story Abe Lincoln would have told. I mean, that is so quaint and righteous. I mean, man, I'm impressed. But, you know, when you mentioned Jehovah's Witnesses, I'll tell you, I didn't know. I mean, speaking of the camps, I didn't realize that Hitler put Jehovah's Witnesses away. Yes, you know? the, they were they, the pink triangle or purple triangle. Yeah, because that but was the everybody who he put away and put into camps, whether it was, you know, Catholics, Jews, homosexuals, politicals, they all have their kind of their monuments. You know, they've all been remembered, but. Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe in any kind of monument, right? You don't believe in like any kind of self-adulation or, or you know, it seems like they're they're like the forgotten victims, at least as far as I could tell. Well, they um, they do hold a huge flag of we were in the Holocaust, and a lot of that. The, okay, then I I stand corrected. And and a lot of that was partly brainwashing for me when I was a kid, because I got, they would show us the horrific things that happened to during the Holocaust mm-hmm. to Jehovah's witnesses. And then the next thing was, and this is coming any minute for us. And in the Bible, they say that the great tribulation is going to be worse than anything that has, has ever happened to mankind. And then, so what the Jehovah's witnesses do is go, the great tribulation is coming for us because we have the truth. So you think the Holocaust was bad. It's going to be even worse. That's why wow. we need to stay together. Yeah. And that's, and so it was a, um, it was a propaganda. So they took that horrific event and then they created this narrative of propaganda that I knew in my heart that I was going to be tortured. I knew what, I knew what tarred and feathered meant when I was five years old. I knew that if I salute the flag at school, that I would be defying Jehovah, the only person, the only thing who can protect me when the, the next worst Holocaust comes. So right. I better, I better be in the good graces of God, or that protection is gone and I'm dead. That's a that's a heavy load for a kid, man. It's brutal. It's I mean, I look back and it's just such abuse. And it's, you know, and I it's we and we had I it's just, you know, your parents bring you to these meetings three times a week. And we had, you know, this, and then back in the seventies and eighties, where it's just like, they brought these Holocaust survivors who would come in and like tell the whole story, but the whole story wasn't to embrace their survival. The story was, Hey, and guess what? It's going to be even worse than this. This is why you stick with us. Wow. Yeah. 
I was always impressed because what I read about the Jehovah's Witnesses was they could have avoided the camps by simply not practicing their religion. But right. almost to a man and a woman, they refused to quit. And yeah. so it's almost like they made the conscious choice to and, go into the camps, which is impressive as hell. I mean, Jews, Jews were Jews, homosexuals are homosexuals, but Jehovah's Witnesses, they could have faked it. You know, they could yeah. have not, but they, they didn't. They made that choice. And it's so, and that's where the weird, the weird coolness comes. Yeah. Where it's kind of mind boggling because it, because to stand up for something and have that much faith in it and also stand up against something that's so atrocious and go, Hey, we're not with you. We're not with you, Hitler, yeah. you know, um, stuff for really yeah. pay the price. Yeah. yeah. Did you uh, have relatives or did you, do you, did, or just, you just knew people who came to your, your school, your church. They just came to the church because my parents were converted when I was like three years old. So really, converts, huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, they really knocked on their door. Did it? Yeah, that actually worked. It works. Man, when I was a dope fiend and I was so lonely, I loved Jehovah's Witnesses. They'd come to the door and would talk for like hours, you know? Yeah. Great. They probably loved you too, because you were. They call it. They call it doing time. Uh, Not doing time. That's the prison thing. (laughs) Um, What? What? they call well, it sure talking to me was doing time for them. I'm sure. <laughs> no, you were probably great because when you go out in service and when you're preaching, most of it is slam doors is getting yelled at yeah. and which just puts you, puts you more and more into the Jehovah's witnesses. And when you have someone like you who invites, invites you in, it's a breath sure. of relief because you can let them the bathroom. I mean, that was me. I was that kind of guy. Yeah. And it, and even it's it's one of the funny things with Jesus Jerk was I wanted people to know what was on the other side of the door, so they treated Jehovah's Witnesses better individually because individually, really? you know the individually they and I was one of them. I in my heart I had a good heart. I wanted I wanted what was great for you yeah. Know, I, it's so as as an organization it's terrible. But on the individual level, I don't I don't feel like Jehovah's Witnesses individually should be disrespected because sure. yeah. they're just confused and don't know because I didn't know. You know, it was always spooky to me. The kids at school who didn't uh, wouldn't, you know, salute the flag. I mean, I, I, I couldn't figure it out. I was so impressed. They were yeah. like it was like punk before there was punk. You know, they were like <laughs> and that's <laughs> so what was, was pretty yeah. bad. It was pretty badass. I know. And I wish, I wish it was like, I wish, I wish I was not saluting the flag when it was punk because, you know, the, the teachers would, would um, just mess with me too. Cause I would give them a note at the beginning of the year, essentially saying, Hey, here's the scriptural reasons why I can't salute the Mm -hmm. flag. And, you know, in the end I realized, Oh wait, this was so condescending to them telling them they're wrong. (laughs) You're wrong Uh, about everything in life, but here's what I'm doing. So then they would mess with me and they would be like, Hey, you know, Tony, you can lead us in the flag salute today. Oh, wait, I forgot you're a Jehovah's witness. And you're just sitting there going, I'm just trying to like be normal. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Uh, Thanks. Thanks for making my recess hell when I go get my milk and I have to explain, you know, the Bible and God when I'm 10 years old, (laughs) but you got a book out of it. I mean, it all worked out, right? (laughs) Isn't it crazy? You got to be grateful for this stuff now. Yeah. Well, you know, it's good material for you, man. 
<laughs> it is. And it, and it's it's just like the, you know, it's you you the you have this new book 999 and it's and it was you know a revelation to you and rough but it's material. It's material. By the way, that's 9 N E I N for you kids out there who think it's N I N E. It's not a math book. It's, and it's not like the cheesy action movie 999 it's its own thing just putting it out there clarification Dave, is this your first book on akashic akashic i always say it wrong uh i did a uh i edited a book for them called uh, the heroin chronicles before. right oh right right I've, and i've aside from editing i've been in their i was in their cocaine collection and their heroin collection and uh not to brag, I think I was in their speed collection. So I've covered the waterfront. I Catholic. really like they're, those guys. They're great. They're great guys. Yeah. Well, you know, Johnny's a rock and roll guy, you know. Yeah. He made his money in rock bands world. Yeah. 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 And put it to publishing. And 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 it was just in and then I loved how with them, um, Adam Mansbox book, um, Go the Fuck to Sleep. Yeah. essentially i mean i think that like that they they just kept it going and they're you know you make a few yeah. million off that if not even more and they keep sure. they haven't changed their voice at all they haven't no. they, the, the heart is still there from what i knew 20 years ago when they were putting out books you know i think i think their slogan is what reverse gentrification you know oh yeah <laughs> i like that so uh yeah they publish a lot of outsiders like myself so it's perfect for me you know yeah yeah i mean uh you know knopf isn't getting on the horn calling me and begging me to uh come into the fold you know so but but akashic's great that way and you, but you've had a lot of experience with big publishers have sure. you had good have you had good experiences with big publishers you know i've had my books come out yeah uh, Listen, man, you know, it's, I just think you're lucky if you get anything published, period. I mean, I think it's a different template now. People can just publish their own shit. But yeah, I mean, I there's nothing like seeing your book on yeah. a shelf. That's yeah. great. Doesn't yeah. doesn't feed you, you realize, you know? Right. It's not the most prestigious thing in the world. Doesn't mean anybody's going to give a shit about it. Right. But on the other hand, you know, it's like uh, Willie Loman's neighbor said about him in Death of a Salesman. He had all the wrong dreams, you know? You just thought if you could get a book published, all problems would be solved. Little did you know, you know? But uh, it does solve the problem of not having a book published. And that the, and, it, and it's the, it, here's what, here's what I, and this is the reason why I do Drinks with Tony, and this is the reason why I walked away from tech to become a writer. It's because novels and books mean everything to me and and i wanted to join the conversation so people were talking to me and i was absorbing it and i'm like wait i want to join this conversation so i can have a voice out there too mm -hmm. and it's just and there's just something beautiful about that where the people who crave great books and when i say crave great books i mean actually read books not audible at the gym where it's just like oh yeah i, re I read this book oh really uh, yeah yeah well i was doing push-ups and i it was on audible and i'm like you didn't read a book you listen to something that's not the same thing i'm i'm wow. very upset about that is that a you're thing? hitting nerve in yourself right there <laughs> what's that <Yeah. laughs> you're hitting a nerve i can feel the, the rage 
but you I know, know these, these people don't read books they'll they'll listen to audiobooks they which they yeah. and they think that they've read the book but they don't understand that the communication of the eyes to the words rather than a voice to the ear i feel like there's a very different relationship to a, to the story you know i i do not disagree on the other hand it's probably as close as they're going to get you know to reading a book you know to having somebody infantilize them and you know read them a story like mommy when they were three you know i mean that's how it is it's a whole different yeah. dynamic it, here's what i've learned from our conversation i need to have more graciousness that you yeah. have you 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 do it well you do it so well i i, I see joy you're like hey, look at the kids look at the infants at least they get theirs <laughs> well yeah I, is that what I'm saying? Okay. You know, if that's what I'm saying, fine. Yeah. Uh, the people at the gym doing push-ups. you know, if they were reading, they'd get hit in the head with barbells, you know, I mean, it's hard to read <laughs> and do curls. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a safety hazard. Let's not kid ourselves. Right. You know? But if they would just not watch Netflix for 30 minutes and pick up a book. Well, let's not go crazy. I mean, you know, <laughs> they can look at the Netflix adaptation of their favorite book for gosh sakes. Right yeah i love it when people go hey should i read your book or should i watch the film and i'm like i have no answer for that well there's that great jane delroy story where he was in a bookstore and uh which i'm i'm butchering but it, some version of this old lady comes up to him and says you know i love your work you know i love la confidential he's like movie or book he's like oh i love movies he's like get the fuck out of here you're no use to me you know <laughs> <laughs> you gotta love the guy that's really good. I just tell them, hey, you know, as the screenwriter, don't read the book because the book's atrocious and I adapted it. As the author, don't watch the film because that screenwriter just didn't know good what he line. was doing. Yeah. I, my, my standard line is, well, I didn't write the movie, so I'm a different kind of asshole in the movie than I am in the book, you know? <laughs> which is pretty true, really. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Jerry, where'd you get your glasses? I love where those. Where'd you get my glasses? I got them on a store called Zach on facts yeah. in uh, Hollywood across the street from Cantor's. If you know where that is, I'm going there. You, you look I, good I, in I those glasses. Wear them on, on your better podcasts because they, they pinch a little, but they look damn good. They really do. Thank you. You're the yeah. second person. Who did them, I, think. <laughs> I don't want to look like Lazar though. I don't want to have the big old bug eyes, you know? Yeah, it's it, it's I, I I'm jealous. I have you know these cheap glasses, but I'm I'm, I'm going to go to that store across from Cantor's. You have I'll, glasses? I'll, oh, funny you say that. I have the very same ones you have, but you know <laughs> I thought I would dress up for the pod. You know. Yeah, yeah, to suffer for it. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Jerry, well, thank you. Fun talking to you because you're a writer. I love the rage. I love the outrage. Yeah, is the outrage that works? <laughs> it, it, it's really, really working, man. It's all I have, man. <laughs> Everybody's good at something. Jerry, thanks for coming on the show. Pleasure's all mine, man. Great to see you. I look forward to your novel. Jerry Stahl on Drinks with Tony. Check out his book, 999, One Man's Tale of Depression, Psychic Torment, and a Bus Tour of the Holocaust. Next week on the show, we have Larissa Pham. She's the author of Pop Song, Adventures in Art and Intimacy. 
Keep reading, keep writing, keep weaving your personal narrative. Be the hero of your own journey. Overcome conflict. Show your true character. Embrace the struggle. And, as mentioned in the interview, read actual books with paper. All the kids are doing it. Have a great week. You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz.